1: Welcome on in. It's the midweek here on the Locked on Syracuse podcast. Tyler Aki and Tim Leonard. Check us out wherever you get your podcasts. Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, all that good stuff. Be sure to rate, comment, subscribe. We appreciate all the feedback you guys give us. And also check us out on Twitter at LO underscore Syracuse. We'd love to talk with you there. And if you ever have something you want us to talk about on the show, feel free to shoot us a note on the Twitter machine, LO underscore Syracuse. Tim. It's the midweek here and we're going to do something now leading all the way into basketball season. It's our 10 thoughts heading into the Syracuse basketball season and let, let's get into it because today's topic is going to be the, one of the biggest storylines heading into yeah. this year and it's what to expect out of Alan Griffin. Today we're going to dive into what's his ceiling, what's his floor and then we'll kind of meet in in the middle and find out what are realistic expectations for the most notable newcomer, at least on the surface it seems like yeah, that, Richmond's for this Orange them a team heading into 2020. Week. Yeah, we're yeah. going to talk about all of the freshmen on tomorrow's show. So from here till the start of basketball season, Wednesday and Thursdays, you're going to get all hoops for the entirety of the show pretty much, and we're just going to break down these 10 different thoughts that we have heading into this Syracuse basketball season. All right. So we start with Alan Griffin, and I think with the ceiling, obviously we know from his time at Illinois, prolific score, and he can shoot the three ball really well. Only averaged nine points per game, but obviously that's a little misleading because he only played 18.1 minutes per game with the fighting Illini, And if you look at the 40 minutes and of course extrapolating the most dangerous thing you can do in statistics, (laughs) but when you extrapolate his per 40 minutes, he's averaging almost 20 points per game. I think per 36 is a little bit better of a metric, but we know at Syracuse, per 40 isn't the worst thing to do because of the fact that he might play 40 minutes a game or like 37, 38. There is nothing to suggest otherwise that if he really cements himself as a prolific scorer and can hold up on the defensive side of the ball that he could play upwards of 40 minutes a night.
0: Yeah, the per, per 36 for him is very easy to do because you just double all his stats because he averaged 18 minutes. So that per 36, which I think is a good ballpark of how many minutes he will play considering most are definitely slotting him into the starting lineup. That's what Bayheim has not directly said, but just based on Bayheim's comments on him, I think we can go ahead and, and assume that November 27th, first game, he will be in the starting lineup, and that's the plan with him, and that's why he transferred. So 36 minutes, he got 17.8 points per game, nine rebounds extrapolated. I'm not saying he's going to do that, but we're talking ceiling here, and I think that's a decent ceiling to put it at in terms of numbers-based. He only averaged .6 assists per game in those 18 minutes, so that's some areas where he could get a little bit better. And if you're wondering... Why did he only play 18 minutes at Illinois? A couple reasons. One, Illinois plays man-to-man defense, and he does have some flaws defensively. He seems to lose focus a little bit defensively, and I don't think they loved having him out there on defense at times just because Illinois was such a defensive-minded ball club last year, and that's how they will be this year. So I do think he is a good fit for the 2-3 zone because those man-to-man defensive lapses now you have to be focused and that's going to be a big question mark with him is can he adapt to the 2-3 zone but i like him better in a 2-3 zone type of system considering that is maybe a weakness of his and it's not like he doesn't have potential on the defensive end he's athletic and he's got size to play the top and
1: long two and the
0: wing spot yeah so I think he'll get better there, but that's kind of the main concern coming from Illinois, and that's why he was limited to 18 minutes a game, and Illinois was a very good team last year.
1: Right, you got to remember, that was a deep Illini squad that was bound for the NCAA tournament. They, they very well could have won the Big Ten if they had put on a little bit of a run late in the season, so they were a really good team last year, and I look at, a guy like Griffin, and I know we love to talk about the shooting with him, and that's obviously gonna be the main thing he's brought in to do because of the fact that you are losing a guy like Elijah Hughes. You're losing your most prolific scorer, and you're not necessarily asking Griffin to be Elijah Hughes, but can you be what Joe Girard was from a season ago? And I'm looking at Griffin here, and the scoring's great. But the rebounding might be something that's even better for yeah. this team because you know you're going to have two guys that can get you 17 to 20 points a night in Joe Girard and Buddy Beheim, and whatever Griffin gets is just gravy at that point if he can give you 13, 14 a night. But I'm looking at the rebounding because that's something where Syracuse has struggled in the past, especially out of the zone. And I'm interested to see if the rebounding numbers translate. Four and a half rebounds per game last year at Illinois. And he's doing that from the guard position too. He rebounds bigger than his size. And I'm wondering if that's going to translate well in the zone. Because he is going to be now on the back end, it looks like. Well, we'll see if him and Buddy maybe interchange a little bit from the top half to the back half of the zone. But he's going to be rebounding out of a different position. I think that might help him a little bit in terms of getting more boards and we'll see how that part transpires the season but that's one of the facets of his game that i'm really looking forward to watching because he's a high motor guy and we talked with tristan kizik from the champagne room about alan griffin and he says one of the things that Illini fans loved about him was the fact that he had this heavy motor and was always always locked in for all 18 minutes pretty much that he was out there so I'm looking at a guy like Griffin, can he translate that motor again, and can he really bring it on the the defensive side of the ball, rebounding the ball, and I think that's something that could really help this team in 2020 and beyond.
0: He is a great offensive rebounder, great hustle on that end, just kind of has a nose for the ball, which is such a cliche, but it is true for him, and Syracuse statistically last year might surprise some people, but they were were pretty good offensive rebounding-wise. They were terrible defensive rebounding-wise, and that's just the zone and the flaw in the zone. So his numbers will not extrapolate to nine rebounds a game. I think that's foolish to expect because it is the zone, and you're going to get less defensive rebounds. But Elijah Hughes had five rebounds last year. Those are there for the taking. And you bring up how he might play the back half of the zone some. Sure, he might switch with Beheim, but also... Think about a lineup that they could throw out there is Kadari Richmond and Joe Girard where Bayheim's getting a five-minute break and then you keep Griffin out there. And the fact that he can play both in the back or in the wing position of the zone and the top of the zone is so crucial. And that's really going to determine how much of an asset he can be for Syracuse is how quickly he can learn this 2-3 zone. That's the only thing that leaves you hesitant to jump on. And that might and be
1: on. a little tough too yeah. because... He's coming in weird off season and he might be trying to learn two spots in yeah, it. Yeah, it's tough. And that could really help hurt him. But at the same time, if you're Jim Bayheim, you might feel a little bit better with Buddy on that back. And, and you just kinda because he has he's, he has experience on both sides. And let's be honest, he was he was using uh he was learning the 2 3 zone before he was sliding those little discs on his abacus when he was a kid. So <laughs> when you think about Where it might be smarter to put a guy like Griffin, it might be better to put him up at the top. But again, you have to evaluate who your personnel is too. And if you're, I think it would be smarter to just be teaching one side of the zone for a guy like Griffin. But hey, maybe his learning curve's a little bit higher because remember, he is the son. We talk all the time son of a coach, Buddy Beheim. Son of a coach, Alan Griffin. His father, Adrian, a coach now with the the Raptors. And he was rumored to be in talks for uh, some head coaching jobs in the NBA. So he can pick up these basketball concepts a little bit easier than maybe some because he is the son of a coach.
0: Yeah, and a son of an NBA player, too. His, his dad played in the NBA. Right. Mm-hmm. I, I would say his ceiling to me, our pal Matthew Gutierrez, who we had on the show recently and we love having on over at The Athletic, he tweeted out, that he could be the MVP of this team. He said, like, my MVP for Syracuse this year is Alan Griffin. and he's, That's high praise. Yeah, yeah, he's tapped in, so that doesn't mean nothing. I think that's his ceiling. He could lead this team in scoring. I'm not saying that's going to happen, but we're talking ceiling here. He could get to 17, 18 points a game and just have that Elijah Hughes-type season. That, that would be the ceiling for me in terms of points.
1: Hey, basketball season less than 30 days away now. Yeah, you heard that right. Less than a month to go until hoops. And that's the perfect reminder for me to tell you that Coors Light is the official beer of watching any sport or team just to drink beer. I know there's no better beer out there to accompany my weekend football watching than Coors Light. And guess what? That's not gonna change once hoop season is here. Coors Light is made to chill, which means when you need a moment to unwind, reach for the beer that's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. Coors Light's mountain cold refreshment is thanks to being cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged so it arrives to your doorstep ready for a day or night made for chilling. Coors Light is the beer I choose when I need to hit reset, so when you need to unwind, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your doors at get.coorslight.com. Again, that's get.coorslight.com. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And you know what you
0: could pair that with, Ty, is the best tasting protein bar on the marketplace, Built Bar, one of our favorites on the Lockdown Syracuse podcast. Some people probably think we just talk about Built Bar because we have to. I'll admit I, I had never heard of Built Bar until they partnered with the podcast but I can speak from experience now. I literally order these things every week. I tell all my friends about them, and I'm not just talking about them because I have to, because these are that good, and they're good for you. It's a candy bar that is good for you. You just can't think of anything better. You take the peanut butter flavor, for example, 19 grams protein, 180 calories, that's it, five grams sugar, five grams net carbs. They're low calorie, low sugar, yet high protein and high fiber. These bars are covered in 100% chocolate, very soft, very easy to chew, and they've got 18 amazing flavors that you can pick from. All kinds of good flavors. They've released some new ones, cookies and cream, carrot cake. Go to BiltBar.com today. Use our promo code LOCKEDON. Get you 20% off your next order by using our promo code LOCKED ON. Make your customizable box. I promise you will love these things as much as Ty and I do. 20% off by using our promo code ON at
1: BiltBar.com. So, you hear the ceiling there and the MVP accolades that Matthew Gutierrez throws out towards Alan Griffin. And and that very well could happen because guess what? We have to replace an MVP on the Syracuse roster somehow. And with Elijah Hughes going to the draft, there's going to be plenty of opportunity. But we also know that things can go awry. Yeah. And <laughs> while Bayheim, especially lately, has done a very, very good job at bringing in transfers, and the transfers have succeeded. I will say this, when we look at a floor for a guy like Alan Griffin, the bottom could fall out defensively, because the one area where you see these transfers and these grad transfers sort of struggle is the defensive side of the ball. When you think about some of these guys who have come in, now I think Elijah was was a solid defender, and I think a lot of it had to do with the fact that he was a super athletic player, but you think about some of these other guys, and you look at Andrew White, John Gillen, uh Gino Thorpe who just didn't even pan out whatsoever those are the guys who struggled defensively and that is that's probably where concern number one lies for me with a guy like Alan Griffin is will the defense hold up now you think that he could be a little bit better in the two three zone as opposed to the man-to-man schemes but when I hear the lack of focus being the not a great thing. Yeah. The knock on him defensively. Yeah, that's something that definitely concerns me with him.
0: Well the good news is he has potential there. He has the size and he's we hear people rave about his motor offensively and offensive rebounds and sort of always giving a hundred percent effort. So it's not like he's just someone that loses focus completely on both sides of the ball or checks out. He does have some character issues that we can't ignore when we're talking about the floor here. I mean he's gotten suspended from a couple games last year. He was ejected from a game for stepping on a player. I think most fans remember that if you follow college basketball. That should be noted, but I I do think the other thing to consider when you're talking about floor for Alan Griffin, defense is probably first and foremost, I agree. Offensively, the only thing that I'm a little, little bit hesitant about is the fact that he's not great at kind of having a handle of the ball and creating completely. He hasn't had to do that yet. And he was sort of a turnover machine when he was a freshman, 27% turnover rate. Now that dropped completely last year to 12%, so that's much improved. But now he's going to be getting the ball a ton. And in Syracuse's offense, think of what Elijah Hughes did last year. Maybe it won't be to that degree. It probably won't. But the small forward position at Syracuse has to be able to create their own shot, And it's not so much three and D type players. Like he's going from a role player on a good team to he has to be a creator on a team that plays a lot of isolation based offense. And it's not like he's going to sit in the corner and jack up threes and shoot 45% that way. So he has to get better at not settling, driving and having a little bit crisper handle on the ball offensively.
1: I'm glad you brought that up because that's another thing that Syracuse I think is really going to miss with Elijah Hughes is that he could do it at all three levels of the floor. He could do it from three, he could get you to the mid-range, and he could take it to the basket as well. And I think that's something that's concerning to me when I look at a guy like Alan Griffin because you look at his splits from a season ago. He was averaging four three-point attempts per game and only 2.3 two-point attempts per game. He's not a guy who gets to the free throw line a lot. No. He only averaged 1.3 attempts per game last year. Now, shot at 86%. He did shoot 86%. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that that's a good sign. But I want to see, can he get to the line more? Can he make things happen that way? Because Syracuse had some very good free throw shooters last year. That three-headed attack of Gerard, Buddy, and then Elijah. Those were guys that could get to the line for this team and could do things at all three levels. They could, even though... You look at a guy like Joe and Buddy and they're labeled as sharpshooters. No, they, they could do more than just shoot the three ball. I mean, Buddy and, and Joe, they had some floaters. They had some mid-range stuff that they could do. So I'm looking to see is can he expand his offensive game? Can he be more than just this three-point shooter? And can he get to the line and create some easy opportunities for him? And even to a degree, maybe he misses some, but there you've got a guy like Sidibe who can tap it back in or Dolajai tap it back in. And you can get easy buckets that way as well. So I'm looking at can he expand his offensive game because that's going to be a big part of replacing Elijah Hughes this year. Teams are going to
0: scout him to run him off the three-point line. He was a 41% three-point shooter last year. You laid out the numbers, how he was a high-volume guy in terms of the minutes he played compared to two-point shots. So what is going to be the question mark with him offensively is can he prove that he's more than just a three-point shooter and i think he can and we'll get to what our expectations are for him sort of in the middle of this ceiling and floor and what are just what we think he will put up statistically this season but that is the question mark is can he prove that he's more than just a three-point shooter and also can he drive and kick and facilitate for teammates i think he showed some flashes of that but he was never asked to do that at illinois and keep in mind Elijah Hughes He averaged three and a half assists a game last year. He averaged five rebounds too, but that was a big improvement for him. He was a great facilitator. I'm not saying that Griffin has to completely make up all of those assists that are leaving in Elijah Hughes from last year, but he only averaged .6 in 18 minutes last year, so he has to get a little bit better. He will because he's playing more minutes and he's going to have the ball more, but I want to see him drive, have a crisp handle, not turn it over, and also look to pass occasionally and just be more of a playmaker slash creator than just a set shooter, because that's all he was asked to do at Illinois. And, and I think he can, I think he has all kinds of potential. I really do believe there's an NBA future. If he kind of hits the right checkpoints here at Syracuse, because he kind of has a three and D type of DNA that Elijah Hughes has sort of, you know, sort of blossomed into and, has gotten some respect for in terms of the NBA draft circles right now. O'Shea Brissett, same type of way. That's what the NBA is looking for. He just has to prove the D part, and he also has to prove that he can create his own shot if he needs to.
1: I'm glad you brought up the, the running a guy like Alan Griffin off the three-point line because I think it's going to be interesting to watch this year how, how defenses prioritize who they want to stop. Because, let's be honest, you cannot stop all three of Joe Girard, Buddy Beheim, and Alan Griffin. There's just too much talent there, too much experience, I think, at this point. And when you look at how Griffin could get run off the three-point line, I feel like he might be number three, at least to start. He might be number three in terms of where they where defenses want to attack the depth chart. I think it's... I mean, you got 1A, 1B in Buddy and Joe. We'll see what defense. Maybe they play a personnel type of game as to how they want to prioritize those two. But Griffin, I think, could get a lot of open looks. And it's going to be on Buddy and Joe to also pick up some of those lost assists from Elijah Hughes because you're going to have a guy in Alan Griffin who could be open for a lot of threes. And now it's going to come down to can he consistently prove that he can make those threes? Because remember, his freshman year, he played in 30 games. Now, he played under 8 minutes a game, but he only shot 30% from 3. When the volume increased, he became even better, which is something that I think is a little rare to see, but it's good to see, too. Now I think the thing that concerns me with Griffin is you bring up the motor, and we've talked to Tristan Kizik, and he talked about the motor that a guy like Griffin has. Can that motor play for 36 minutes? That is the next step for him, I yeah. think. is When he knew he was playing... 15 to 20 minutes a night. Okay, maybe you're going to bring it a little more for that entire 15 to 20 minutes because you know your your playing time is is very, very sparse at that point. Yeah. Now when it's expanded to 35 or so minutes, give or take two or three either way, can that motor hold up? Or is he going to go out there, give you a really hard first 20 minutes, and then maybe he disappears or his shots really start coming up short In the final 10 to 15 minutes of his time out there on the floor. That's something that worries me about a guy like Griffin. And hopefully it's not something that comes back to bite this orange team.
0: He's going to be streaky. That's another thing. He's not going to be nearly as consistent as Elijah Hughes. Even if he reaches that ceiling of scoring that we talked about. There were games last year where he just got super hot from three. And it was like find Alan Griffin, get him the ball. And there were other games where he was kind of just a non-factor out there. So given that... I hope Bayheim gives him kind of a leash this year. And I know some people will be like, oh, he never does that. I think that's kind of a misnomer. I do think when it's a talented player that he knows is going to be needed for the entire season, he will give them sort of opportunity to grow. I
1: totally agree with that. Yeah. That's totally fair. And mm-hmm.
0: And he will only bench a guy if he does something consistently wrong. Like he says, you can't keep doing this. And then he'll yank him. Like, what Jalen Carey was doing, everyone talks about a leash. Well, he was—he kept saying, don't turn the ball over, and he kept turning it over. I thought he mishandled Carey a little bit, but you look back to guys like Eric Devendorf who joined this program, or guys that were talented they made mistakes, and Beheim let them grow. Griffin, I think, falls I mean, look into, at Joe
1: Girard, yeah. right? He was far from perfect last year. He was good. Right. He was far from perfect.
0: And Bayheim I think, will understand that they really need him this year because they're losing Eliza, Elijah Hughes, so I think he will give him somewhat of a leash there. And there's going to be games, especially early on, given that it's COVID and there's less time to warm up, and we talked about the concerns about incorporating him into a 2-3 zone and having him learn two spots. Syracuse fans should not bail on Alan Griffin when he has a couple bad games early, because that's going to happen, and that would probably happen to anyone. He's basically like, uh, we should trade him like a freshman in a weird way. I know he's more experienced than that, and that isn't really... And he's got totally. power five
1: experience, too, which I think is important. Yeah,
0: I mean, it's the reason why I say that is just because he's had less time to practice. Now, he has been there a little bit, but it's not a full preseason camp here that he's dealing with, and... I think that's going to hinder just the overall product of all of these teams coming out initially. So I hope Bayheim understands that and he gives him some wiggle room there. And I expect him to, honestly.
1: Let's meet in the middle here, all right? Realistic expectations for Alan Griffin. We, you've heard the floor, you've heard the ceiling for what this guy can be in this 2020-21 season. And now I think you look at a guy at least to start, he's going to be a number three on this team. And that's not a bad thing because you've got a pretty good one and two. He can elevate to maybe that two or like Matthew Gutierrez even thinks to a degree to that number one spot on this team in terms of scoring and just the overall what he brings night in, night out, how valuable he becomes to this team. And we're going to do some prop shop picks in a second with. Alan Griffin and some of his statistics for this season. But I think when you look at what will make a successful year for Alan Griffin, I think if he's a rock solid three, I would be more than happy if I'm an Orange fan. Just because of when you look at what this team lost, and when you look at the guys that he's lined up next to, the guys who are probably going to take some pretty major steps, I think, this year. When you look at Joe Girard and when you look at Buddy Beheim, you're talking about two guys that could be all-conference in the ACC. If Alan Griffin is playing at an all-conference level, this is going to be a very, very good Orange team. But if he's playing at a solid level, like if he's getting you 13 to 15 points a night and he can give you 33 really strong minutes, I think that's a successful season for this kid.
0: Yeah, I lean more towards the ceiling than the floor for him. And As would I. Mm-hmm. I. I really I think he's going to be very good, and I'm high on him. I definitely will be keen to watch him defensively early on for all those reasons we laid out. But I love hearing that Illinois fans loved watching him play, and he was a fan favorite. And you don't hear that about every player. There are definitely, every program has a couple guys that just shoot bad shots, and some days you love them, some days you hate them. And it's good to hear that he gave motor every single time. Now he's going to have to prove it on the defensive end a little bit and I think his shot selection needs to improve, but that's all things that I expect him to get better at with some good coaching and another year under his belt. So, I really am pretty high on him and you know, we we thought about the prop shop a little bit and we're going to do sort of one prop shop bet or maybe multiple prop shop bets for each of these 10 topics that we're going to discuss on Wednesday and Thursday on the show. I think we set the points per game for him at like 13 and a half. And I I would probably go over that. I would say he averages like 14 points per game, maybe six rebounds a game. And he's probably not going to be as efficient just because of the minutes he played last year compared to the minutes he'll play this year. But I think he's going to be a nice piece that Syracuse fans are really going to like watching play.
1: Yeah, I'm looking right now at some of the games where he played a lot of minutes. So when he played north of 25 minutes, so it only happened three times, but they all happened last season. And they came against good teams, twice against Michigan State and once against Rutgers. And remember, for those of you laughing right now at, at the Rutgers comment I make, well, Rutgers was a pretty good team. They were a ranked team and they were headed to the NCAA tournament a season ago. I look at his numbers there, 14 points, 9 points, and 17 points. So He was good in it, Big Ten
0: play. He was even better. Yeah, he
1: really was. And yeah. I, I'm looking at the, the three-point shooting here. Two of the games he shot 50% and another he shot 20%. percent looking at the two-point shooting here. 0 oh for 5, 1 for 2, 4 for 4. So when you look at what he can bring when he plays north of 25 minutes, it feels a little inconsistent. You see one really good game, one bad game, and one that's kind of in the middle. And I think it's going to be watching what he can do over the course of a season where he's consistently playing 30-plus minutes a night. And when I watch Alan Griffin and when I'm setting expectations for him, it's really a giant question mark. And I lean, I'm like you, I lean more towards his ceiling than his floor, but the one thing about his floor is can he bring it for all 30-plus minutes that he's out there? And I think that alone... Really has an influence on what his ceiling will be.
0: Yeah, and when you compare him to the other two guys on the perimeter, Gerard and Bayheim, he is going to have games. He might actually take over more games this year and lead Syracuse in scoring more often this year than Buddy or Joe. I would say Buddy for you could make that case because Buddy, I think, is going to score less than Joe. Now that might be a little bit of a controversial take, and we'll probably get to that as we progress towards the season here, but he's going to have games because of his ceiling where he just looks great. And then he's going to have games where he's bad. And Buddy and Joe have not hit their ceiling yet because they're still young, Joe especially. But Buddy, to an extent, is kind of like a finished product where he's just going to get a little bit better at the mid-range shot, and he's going to get a little bit smarter and a little bit more experienced, hopefully at the top of the 2-3 zone, and that type of stuff. I don't think there's really a chance that Buddy becomes like an all-ACC first-teamer. Well, maybe down the road, but not this year. And I, I guess there's not really a chance that Griffin does it this year. But to me, Griffin is way away from his ceiling right now. Buddy and Joe are kind of like almost to their ceiling in a weird way. And I think that just goes back to the athleticism and the fact that we haven't really seen Alan Griffin in this type of role so far in his college career.
1: I get what you're saying there. I think one other thing that maybe gives me a little pause here is when you do have three guys who are all super talented on a team, it can be destructive in a sense. Like, let's say there's a night where Buddy and Joe are having a great game and Alan Griffin is maybe like two for seven. There's only one basketball. (laughs) Right. And he wants to start getting his a little bit. And he's not having a great game. Can that detract from what but Syracuse works well is going to end up? I it did work well last year. But at, at times, let's remember too, when Joe Girard was considered that quote unquote third guy on the team, there were times where he would start chucking. And he'd yeah. come down, take contested early shot clock threes that... Ultimately, I mean, you get the result that you kind of expect. Uh, yeah, that's just Gerard,
0: though. That's his DNA. I feel like.
1: But that's what I'm. I'm hoping we don't see, and, and we can see this sometimes when you start, to, especially when it bunches up in threes. When you see three guys out there, and there are two guys who I think the fan base, at least to start, is definitely going to be in higher regard, leaning towards Joe and Buddy and Allen says I want to be considered one of those one or twos.
0: Yeah. He- and I think
1: as long as he can stay away from that and and I'm not saying this is a character flaw in him cuz frankly I I know nothing. I just I've seen it before in basketball where there's a third guy who wants to be considered one of the one or twos and it can destroy teams and you just hope that doesn't happen with the Syracuse team.
0: All right, before we wrap up uh, I'm going over on 13.5 points, and then we set the over-under for his three-point percentage at 37%. I'm very torn on this one. I'll take the slight under just because I think he sh- he shoots at like 36.2 and shoots a lot of volume. Where do you lean?
1: I'm I'm actually exactly with you. I think okay. he is going to go over that 13.5. He might get like 13.7, maybe 14 this year. And again, his ceiling, I shouldn't say ceiling, but... Would it shock me if he goes out and gets 17 a night? No, it yeah. wouldn't, because he's that talented of a player. I will also say, though, I, I agree with you. I think the volume eventually is going to kick in with him because, sure, he goes from shooting one and a half in his freshman season. Now he's going to shooting four in his sophomore season. In his junior season, we could see him shoot six. And I would say that he's a guy who the volume could maybe hurt his percentages a little bit, but... That's not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, it's the old Mark Titus adage. You should never shoot 50% from three because if you are shooting 50% from three, that means you stop shooting at some point. And in a sense, you're hurting your team to a degree by not continuing to shoot from three. So I think the numbers maybe dip a little bit, but it's only because the volume is going to go up. I would say that the effectiveness of a three point shot is going to be just as good, if not better from his previous two seasons with Illinois.
0: Yeah, I like that he shot a lot of transition threes last year, too, because that's where Syracuse gets a lot of looks. They're really good in transition. So I think he could be an asset in transition this year as well.
1: Yeah, that little step-in, catch-three yeah. on a dribble handoff. Or Elijah something like loved that. He could be really, really good. All right. Tomorrow on the show, we're going to get into more of the newcomers. We're going to talk about the freshmen tomorrow because there's a lot, a lot, a lot of hype coming out of camp, especially for guys like Kadari Richmond, Frank Anselm. So we're going to kind of set the bars for them and what we can expect out of these newcomers in this class of 2020 heading into what's hopefully going to be an exciting Syracuse season. I'm not ready to say it's going to be a great one. I'm not going to say it's going to be a bad one right now. It's going to be exciting though. I know that for a fact, so we're looking forward to that. And, of course, later on in the week, we will also get to our Wake Forest preview, get you ready for SU football on Saturday when they take on the Demon Deacons inside the dome. So We will get you all of that for the remainder of the week. Be sure to subscribe, rate, review wherever you get your podcasts, and check us out on Twitter at LO underscore Syracuse. We will be back with you on Thursday. For Tim, I'm Tyler. We will talk to you guys tomorrow.